The first thing we have to do today before we even talk about anything else is deal with this statement about the brothers and sisters of Jesus and obviously what the significance of that is. So did Mary, mother of God, actually have other children? No. And here's four reasons why. These are only four of the reasons. These are not all the reasons, but we'll go through these quickly so we can talk about the other things in today's readings. First, these other figures are never called children of Mary. Second, the people mentioned as sons, two of them, are actually referred to in Matthew chapter 27, 56, of sons of a different Mary married to someone not Joseph. Third, Jesus would give Mary to his brothers who are biological from the cross rather than John the Evangelist. You always entrusted your mother to your next of kin, not to another person, if a brother had existed. And fourth, the term brother is actually best rendered in English as brethren, which can include even cousins and other close family relations, so much so that even in our second reading, as Paul uses brothers and sisters to address the members of the church, it's the exact same word used for Jesus's brothers and sisters from the word Adelphos. So everyone understand that Mary was perpetual virgin, had no other children other than Jesus Christ. Yes? No other biological children were obviously spiritual children. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, we can talk about Corinth. So Corinth is very interesting. This second reading is an excerpt from St. Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. There's some important things that we know about Corinth that really makes this letter make more sense. First, Corinth is in Greece, so it envies the city of Athens. Athens is much more established and obviously known for its power and especially its wisdom. So Corinth has a little bit of a younger brother inferiority complex here. Also, Corinth is new money. They've come into some wealth, and with it, all the problems that wealth has. They're kind of like a Las Vegas of the ancient world. It was a destination for frivolity, for licentiousness, all sorts of other things. It's not a place to be if you want to live a virtuous life. And ironically, that's the place where St. Paul goes and enjoys so much success establishing the Christian church. In addition, after Paul founded the church in Corinth, right after he left, others entered in. They were impostors. They claimed to be apostles, but they tried to subvert the people's trust in St. Paul and detracted from him. They said all sorts of terrible things about him. They said, St. Paul doesn't have credentials to be an apostle. He doesn't have authority or competency or legitimacy And even his courage is lacking because he fled from Ephesus. In addition, St. Paul's motives are questioned. So these are all the people who enter in and try to persuade the Corinthians who believe in Jesus Christ because of St. Paul's teaching not to trust in Paul and his authority or credentials, but rather to believe these false apostles who enter in. This letter, 2 Corinthians, is sent to Corinth to address this issue. It gives a defense of St. Paul's ministry and the true lens in which 
we should understand St. Paul's work and actions as an apostle. Now, the first thing I want to note is there's many parallels between Corinth and the modern world and culture today. For example, there's unprecedented wealth in the world. The world has never seen as much wealth in as many people's hands as it has right now. This is unprecedented. There are fewer people, by percentage, worrying about life from a what-we're-going-to-eat manner, and so many people who are enjoying luxuries that only the greatest of kings in the history of the world would have enjoyed. In addition, there's greater decadence than in most historical periods. People have also come in to undermine the authority of Jesus Christ, Christianity, and the existence of God himself. Religion is shown to be weak, and worldly power and authority is held up as legitimate. Political leaders and producers of products try to garner support by showing how they and or their product will make us strong and wise. Do you see the connections between Corinth and our modern world? I find it utterly fascinating. The difficulty is here for us, too, as well. Being in the suburbs, we have this also tendency, this temptation to be wooed by wealth and possessions. There's greater power and authority here with the people that comprise this church than, gosh, many dioceses combined. I don't know if you understand how humbling it is as a priest to be among you who have achieved so much and are leaders of so many people. It's really an incredible privilege And there's a great power and effect you can have in the world for good because of what you've built, because of what you've achieved. Now, what's interesting, despite these parallels, St. Paul makes an interesting move for his defense. We would expect something like, well, those false apostles who are detracting me, they're the ones without credentials. We'd expect another ad hominem, but that's not what St. Paul does. He doesn't even talk about how powerful and wise he is. Instead, he confesses his weaknesses and how much he has suffered for the gospel. He doesn't fight the imposter apostles on their own terms. Instead, St. Paul conveys something that is deeply real, completely transcending what his opponents are saying. He says... Power is made perfect in weakness. What does it mean for power to be made perfect in weakness? There's two things I want to bring up. First, when we experience weakness and suffering, it is then that we experience the most powerful personal growth. Second, when we experience weakness and suffering, when we are divested of everything... We become completely reliant upon God. Please God, we become more reliant upon him. And his power comes to our aid and fills us. The two meanings of power being made perfect and weakness. It's when our character is tried, when we're transformed, and we become more dependent on God and filled with his power and strength. When we experience weakness and suffering... Our character and courage is tested, and we're even told in Scripture, count it all joy, my brothers, my brethren, when you meet various trials, 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. There's an amazing tradition in our faith going all the way back to Judaism about trial and temptation making us strong. And in that very weakness, we are transformed and made powerful. In this second aspect, power is made perfect in weakness. When we are weak and suffering, it's then that we most understand our dependence on God. We call out to him, rely upon him for everything. And at the moment of our distress, God comes to fill us, meeting our weakness with his power, allowing our weak humanity to be filled with his divinity. This is what makes St. Paul's authority so powerful. Not that he's a great linguist or very wise, knows turn of phrases, or is just extremely credible as a speaker. It's because he says, it's nothing in me that gives the gospel power. He confesses his own weakness. So the only thing left within him is God's power and the power of the gospel. That's why St. Paul's authority is greater than all the false apostles, because they are resting on their own credentials and their own authority. St. Paul has divested himself of all credentials and authority so that God's authority is all that's left. Do you see that move through the divesting of his own authority and power? The only thing left is is God's authority and power within him. Now, it's good to take a concrete example from perhaps something more well-known in the world, and you might have to remember and go back about a decade. I think it was about a decade. Do you remember the first Thor movie? Yes? Maybe? Okay, he loses his hammer. He can't lift it anymore. He's completely divested of power because he's not worthy. And what happens in that state of weakness when he can't lift his hammer? Immense personal growth and transformation, right? It's when he's fully divested and in a state of weakness that he actually becomes more powerful personally. His authority grows because his virtue grows. He understands the true worth. It's not external power. It's character. That's what makes truly a great man. And it's at that moment when he realizes this and finally stands for the right things that he's suddenly clothed literally with the power of divinity. How much of a better analogy could we have that power is made perfect in weakness that when we are weak and suffering, that we call out to God and he comes to our aid and fills our broken humanity with his powerful divinity. He is literally clothed with divinity the moment he's worthy to lift the hammer again. I think it's a beautiful analogy. And it resonates with us because it depicts an aspect of reality that's more true than most things we confront in this world. The people who try to sell products or try to sell you an ideology to make you strong, powerful, and wise. No, it's through weakness and suffering 
that we are transformed and the power of God can shine within us. The most compelling example, though, of course, is not Thor. It's actually Jesus Christ. This should not be a surprise for us. But the greatest example of power being made perfect in weakness is Jesus himself. The power of his divinity and sovereignty over death itself was made manifest in his weakness on the cross. The son did not fear becoming weak by taking on human nature. He sought it out. He did not despise being rejected by his own kinsmen at Nazareth because they thought they knew who he was. He does not even scoff at being contained and vulnerable in the Eucharist, something that appears to be bread but contains God himself. No, Jesus shows us the pattern of how to act in the midst of weakness and affliction, a lesson that St. Paul takes to heart. In response to the example of St. Paul and Jesus Christ, and Thor, take some time in the next few days to make a list of your weaknesses and your sufferings. Then, after the inspiration of St. Paul, thank God for these as occasions to test your character and be shown your utter dependence on God. Then ask not that your weaknesses or sufferings be taken from you, but that God may fill you with his power and grace, that you may bear it and through it become holy. For power is made perfect in weakness.